Pastor Ed Taylor likens repentance to fruit from a tree. If you go up to a tree and pull down an apple off the branch of that tree, it is an orange tree, right? Of course not. Nobody does that. Nobody pulls an apple off an apple tree and calls it an orange tree. Why? Because apple trees bear apples. Orange trees bear oranges. Repentant people bear fruits of repentance. There is a change. They stop what they were doing and they start doing what is right and it is evident to everyone that sees. That's repentance. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love That you would take my place This is Abounding Grace, online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed Taylor is our Bible teacher, and today he opens John chapter 1. Now, lately we've been getting to know John the Baptist, who came baptizing with a message of repentance. He was quick to point people to Jesus, the Lamb of God. Such good footsteps for us to follow in. So let's lean in and hear what Pastor Ed has to say in part one of Behold the Lamb. Well, in this chapter in John, we have learned and met John the Baptist. We've learned about him and we've met him personally, his ministry, his person. The last time we were in the Word together, remember they came to him wanting to know who he was. And he had the opportunity to take all the attention to himself. He had the opportunity to, to take the glory for himself, even just for a moment, you know, his five minutes, his ten minutes of fame. But that's not what he did. He displayed to us over and over again, you'll find in the life of John the Baptist, and any man or woman that's filled with the Holy Spirit, a tremendous humility in his life. And instead of taking any attention to himself, what did he do? He said, no, I'm just a voice. That's all I am, just a voice. I'm just the messenger. I'm not the one that's given the message. I'm just a messenger. There's one coming after me. There's one that's more important than me, referring to Jesus Christ. He's living out really what Micah wrote. You can jot it down in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, when Micah said, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly? And God is a God of justice. Even if we don't see justice this side of eternity, God himself is just. Not only that, to do justly, but to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Why? Because the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And John came with a message, a message that wasn't popular. It wasn't popular in John's day, and it's not popular today. It was a message of repentance, He was calling people to repentance. The the general public received that message gladly. They wanted a right relationship with God. They did not want to be bound by the things that were holding them back. So when repentance comes, they're like, whatever you need, whatever it is, we're ready. We have been waiting. But to the religious, they found it a threat to their religious business. 
And they came against John the Baptist, even as they'll come against Jesus with his message of repentance. Repentance is foundational. It's fundamental. It is the, one of the essentials in having a relationship with God. If you are truly going to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, that love will flow from repentance. And indeed, if repentance opens the door for you and I to have a right relationship with God, then we'll find loving our neighbor as ourselves. It'll follow now, there is, a great, there, there is a big difference, church, between remorse and repentance. There is a big difference between feeling sorry for something and truly having a burden of godly sorrow for what you have done. It's best illustrated, I think, as we as parents, Marie and I, when we were raising our kids from a young age, we taught them as we were learning from the Bible the difference between remorse and repentance, I think it's important for our kids to know it because, you know, our kids are growing up in the same house and they're hustling and bustling and bumping up against each other, causing a lot of grief in the home as, as they're just living together. That's how life is. That's how we are as adults. And so when something happened in our home that required repentance, we tried to teach, and I believe we did a fair job in teaching our kids, that saying I'm sorry is not enough. As a matter of fact, we don't want you to say I'm sorry We want you to say, because there's a big difference between saying I'm sorry or will you forgive me for. There's a big difference between the two because you can say I'm sorry and be sorry for a lot of things. That could mean I'm sorry I got caught or I'm sorry you're hurt or I'm sorry I made you cry. But not truly taking full responsibility for the sinful action that was given towards someone. Which, when you say, "Will will you forgive me for... Not only are you admitting guilt, but you're taking full responsibility and asking for, for that forgiveness and reconciliation. For example, you know, there's a, a, a battle between the boys in our home, and we just don't want them coming up and going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you're crying. I'm sorry I did that. But instead, I would like them, I'd like to hear them say, from the heart, of course, will you please forgive me for punching you in the nose? That was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. And that's it. It's not, I'm sorry for, you know, I'm sorry if you were all hurt, but you know, if you wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have punched you. Come on, man. That's just going to lead to what? Another punch. That's what I'm going to be. Bam. All right. And, and it's not enough. John came with the message of repentance. It's not, well, you know, I'm just sorry and try to get over with and just try to pray. No, it's, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Because I've wronged you and it's fully my responsibility. It doesn't matter what you've done. My actions, my actions, before God and before you. That was John's message. It wasn't popular, just like it's not popular now. Some people listening in right now, you don't like what I just said. Because you've come accustomed to, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But that's not very helpful. It doesn't bring relationship. It doesn't bring brokenness and humility to do justice, to love mercy. Not only did he come with a message of repentance, but also John came baptizing He's known as what? John the Baptist. He came baptizing. Now, baptism is misunderstood today. Many people believe baptism is purely a Christian thing, a church thing, but it's not. It actually goes back to the days of Judaism. When a Gentile wanted to join the family of God, when they wanted to become a Jew, they were known as a proselyte Jew or a converted Jew. And they would go through classes with the rabbi and they would take all the deci- make all of the decisions and go through all of the motions to become a Jew. And the final thing that they would do at becoming a proselyte Jew is that they would be baptized. It would be the final declaration. In baptism, 
They were declaring, we were once outsiders, but now we need to come to God by repentance to become a one of the people of God. And so baptism is, comes to us from Judaism, immersing them in water. It was the final step in proclaiming your allegiance to Yahweh. Now, baptism did come into the church and is still a practice that's necessary today. It's not necessary for salvation, but it's something that Jesus told us that believers, true believers, are baptized. And baptism is an open allegiance. It's a declaration that you and I make to, to those that are uh, here, to the public, to the world, that says, I identify, again, with, the, with walking into the waters, the life of Jesus, going down under the water to the death and, and burial of Jesus, and then coming up out of the water, the resurrection of Jesus. And it's to be done publicly and openly, if at all possible. And in those waters, the representative of the Spirit of God, of the Word of God, of the Holy Spirit, cleansing and washing us from sin. That's why we love doing them here in the sanctuary, where you can invite your family and friends. It's a time of worship, and that's why I love doing them out at the reservoir, which we're going to do at the end of the summer. Well, we go out, whether we're being baptized or not, and we gather together, we share a meal together, we go out to the waters, and then one by one by one. And as all of, each person's identifying and going into the waters of baptism, everybody at the reservoir is just tripping out. What are they doing? They're out on their paddle boats paddling over. I mean, there were kids, the kids that are swimming around, and, and they're like stopping. What is going on? And it opens a door to say, this is why we're here. We, we are here to identify ourselves with. This is not just some church picnic. This is the declaration of hundreds and hundreds of people that they want to follow Jesus Christ. They've repented of their sins. They've committed themselves to Jesus. Are you willing to do that? And we preach the gospel right there. People get saved right there and go down into the waters of baptism in their full clothes. Over and over again, we've seen that testimony, John's message. Repentance, baptism. But John added one more thing, one more thing to his message. And you'll see it as we study his life. He said to those that were coming to him that they need to bear fruits of repentance. Oh, now he's calling even to a deeper commitment. It's not just to say, but to do. The fruits of repentance. Repentance will lead to change. When you're truly repentant, the actions of sin will cease. It won't be someone else's fault. It won't be filled with excuses. There will be truly new, fresh fruits where we know what they are. They're the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. They'll be true. It's, well, I'm sorry, but there's no fruit. Well, there's no fruit because there's no repentance. Repentance and fruit come together. And he says, you really want to make a commitment and you really want to get things right and you really want to make things right, then repent and bear the fruits of repentance. That was John's message. You know why he wasn't popular. Do you know what the reward was for John's message? He was beheaded. That's how unpopular he was. He was beheaded. You see, there needs to be fruits of repentance in your life, church. We see that even in the life of Jesus. Jesus told us that you will know a tree how? By the fruit. So that if you go up to a tree and pull down an apple off the branch of that tree, it is an orange tree, right? Of course not. Nobody does that. Nobody pulls an apple off an apple tree and calls it an orange tree. Why? Because apple trees bear apples. Orange trees bear oranges. Repentant people bear fruits of repentance. There is a change. They stop what they were doing and they start doing what is right and it is evident to everyone that sees. That's repentance. That's why John's head was cut off. And even now, some of you are very uncomfortable with me. But I don't care. 
because I'm here to declare to you the truth of God's word so your life will get right. I'm just a voice, just like John. I'm just telling you what God says, just trying to help you grow in grace, wanting you to understand the love of God, wanting you to see that there's so much more for you if you'll just step into the waters of obedience, if you'll just move forward in your life, if you just do the right thing, no matter how hard it might be, so that See, a lot of times there are relationships that are strained because only one party or no parties have repented. That there's, so you can't have relationship without repentance. It's impossible. You can't have a relationship with God and you certainly aren't going to have good relationships with others until there's true repentance that loves justice, that loves mercy, and loves to walk humbly with your God, with my God, with our God. And that's John with all that in mind, pick up with me in verse 29 now of John chapter 1. John is stirring up the status quo, and praise God he is. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What a declaration. The Lamb of God. Turn over to Hebrews, would you please? Hebrews chapter 9. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Those that were listening at this time, the Jews would understand the Lamb. They would understand it because year after year at Passover, they would take a young lamb into their home and raise it for a time. And they would take that sweet little lamb and they would offer it to God as a sacrifice. And that lamb would die and shed its blood. And for a season, their sins would be covered by faith in Yahweh, faith in God. But the, the lamb, those were lamb after lamb after lamb. But now John says, there he is, there he is. That's the lamb, the lamb. No more. Later on in the Bible, he would be called our Passover, our Passover lamb. He's the one that takes away the sins of the world. He's the final lamb. Notice Hebrews chapter 9 with me, verse 27. This is so beautiful. You know, you can f- trust in the finished work of Jesus in your life. He is the Lamb of God that takes away your sins if you'll come to him. And so what does the Bible say? It's appointed once for a man to die, but after this, the judgment, verse 28. So Christ was offered, how many times does your Bible say? Once. Let's say that together. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. He was, he was crucified once, church, for you. He died once for the sin, to bear the sins of many. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. There is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. And the theme of the Bible, if you were looking for an overarching theme of the Bible, it's the Lamb of God. It's the Lamb of God. Remember Abraham and Isaac when Abraham was called and he was told and commanded, take your son Isaac and add sacrifice, go up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to me, God says. And Abraham, being the man of faith that he was, he's like, I will. And he had to come to terms with losing his son. He had to come to terms with something that was just out of, like, it was understandable. And and they they go up together. And don't think of Isaac as some little baby on a cart. He was a young man walking up with dad, getting the wood together, that there's going to be a sacrifice. And once they get up to Mount Mount Moriah, remember, remember, he asked his dad a question. And this is the question, Genesis chapter 22. He said, where is the lamb? And oh, how thankful Abraham and Isaac were when there was a voice from heaven that said, no, 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 stop. I myself will provide sacrifice. Another way of looking at that in the Hebrew is, I myself am the sacrifice. 
Where is the lamb? The lamb has been displayed to us. Later on in Revelation chapter 5, you know what we're going to sing? You know what they're singing in heaven? Worthy is the lamb. Beautiful. Verse 30. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who's preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water has said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John says, I know this to be true because God told me how it's all going to go down, and it went down just like God told me. That is such a cool thing to know in your own life. That you are living a life as a follower of God, that you're learning this. What God said is true. How do you know it's true? Because I experienced it. I've seen it. I know it. God said this, he came through. God said he was going to do this, and God did this. God said he's going to comfort me when I'm hurt, he comforted me. God said that he would walk with me through the valley, and when I had to go through the valleys, there God was there in the valleys of the shadow of death. God said that he would never abandon or leave me. My, my wife has left me. My husband's left me. My parents abandoned me. But when that abandonment came in the human realm, I learned that when God said he'd never leave me, it's true. It's true. What God said is true. And all the promises of God today, the Bible says, in him are yes and amen. That's what John is saying. John came with this message and, Jesus, and God told him, this is who Messiah will be. This is how you'll know the Lamb of God. And John has the same testimony that you and I can have, where what I have seen, I've testified. This is the Son of God. What God said is true, and I know it's true because I experienced it. I saw it. I know it. You you can't tell me otherwise. It's the work of God in your life. That when God says he'll comfort you, he will. When God says he'll provide for you, he will. When God says that he'll stick with you, he will. When God says that something in his word that's going to, when God says that he will, that consequences come from sin. Consequences come from sin. Over and over and over again, the Bible is clear. And as you read something, it's going to come to pass. It's going to come to pass. Now, for you note takers, I just want to give you this as a side note. When he says at verse 34 that he declares that Jesus is the Son of God, I want you to know that six people in the Gospel of John declare Jesus to be the Son of God. Because you always have, uh, from time to time, those door knockers, those cultists that come to your door and say, hey, I just want to let you know Jesus isn't God. And you're like, wait a minute, no, no, that's not what I... And then if you spend any time, they'll confuse you and you'll be all confused. Well, I just want you to know that over and over again, the Bible says that Jesus is God. People say that like John does. Right now, we have one witness John declares. But if you're taking notes, I want you to look out for these. Not only does John declare Jesus to be God, but Nathaniel, Peter, the blind man that was healed, Martha, and Thomas. And if you add Jesus, because he declares himself to be the Son of God, to be God in human flesh, then that's seven witnesses in the Gospel of John. And seven is the number of completion or fullness. And so you have a full witness in the Gospel of John that Jesus is God. Those around Jesus knew him as God, worshipped him as God, declared him as God, and served him as God. Verse 35, back in John chapter 1. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, said, Behold, the Lamb of God. 
the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Now there is a depth of commitment here that I want in my life. A depth of commitment that I want, that I see and I want in those early disciples in my life. I want more of a commitment than I have today. I want to go deeper into the things of God. I want to have more obedience. I want to take more steps of faith. I want to live a life just like here where the disciples hear Jesus and they throw their lives all in. All in. They leave everything. They they completely commit to him. All they needed to do is have somebody say, that's the one. He's the Lamb of God. And as they hear him, it says right here, don't underestimate verse 37 in your life. They hear him and they follow him. They hear him and they follow him. And I want this commitment in my life. I, I want this for us. I want this for me. I want what I hear to motivate me to action, to move, to follow, to shift my life to Jesus, to give myself wholly over to him, to, to hear what he has to say and say, I'm giving you more of myself, Lord. I'm not holding back from you. You, you see, it's so easy to hold back on God. It's so easy to sit here and to be on the radio or to be in another church home and you're hearing the word and hearing the word and hearing the word and not doing the word. You're hearing what God has to say about this area in your life, but you don't do it. You're hearing what God has to say about what he wants to do in you and you won't do it. You have a desire and God has confirmed in your life to be a missionary, to be a pastor, to be a teacher, to be a faithful homemaker, to be that business owner or that employee, to stand strong for the things of God, but you won't and you don't. Your career is far more important to you right now than Jesus. Having money is more important to you than Jesus. Relationships are far outweighing your commitment to Jesus right now. Your desire and your fear about what the future might hold and what you might do and what about retirement, all of these things, they all have their place in their life. But in your life, if you're not careful, you will have these far outweigh, far outweigh, a commitment to follow him all out. I want to speak especially to you that are single right now. Single. Your singleness is a very special place that God has given to you where you can wholeheartedly, without any restraint, give yourself to the things of God. Your singleness. I know some of you are single. You don't want to be single. I I was a singles pastor for many years, walking alongside of you. I have a special heart for you. I know some of you are single because you've been divorced. Some of you are single because of death. Your spouse died. Some of you are single because you're just single. And while you have a desire for marriage, you're not fully taking advantage of your singleness. The Bible says that you can commit yourself completely. You don't have to think about anything else but serving the Lord. So would you please just think about nothing else but serving the Lord? Take advantage of it. I mean, if you have a desire to be married, no doubt God is going to bring a partner to you. You have to be patient and content, and it's work. It's not easy. It's hard. You know more than, you know better than I do how hard it is. But you have the power of God with you. You have the power of God because the Bible says the married person has to care about the things of their spouse. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's not a negative thing. It's just the facts. That when a single person has an opportunity to make a decision, and a married person has not, especially married with kids, but a married person has to make a decision, they have a different matrix. They have to pass that through. That's all it means. You that are married, it doesn't, exo- it doesn't exempt you from serving God wholeheartedly. You just have a different way to make your decisions, that's all. You have to be concerned about your spouse first. You have to be concerned about your kids. Nothing wrong with that. But you have to be careful. Singles, married couples, we have to be careful. We have to be careful to hear Jesus speak and follow him. 
This is Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. To give this study in the Gospel of John a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. If you haven't read Chuck Smith's classic book, Love the More Excellent Way, we'd like to recommend that you do. We'd love to get this into your hands. You'll not only discover what love is, as defined by God, but also how to love the more excellent way. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. You can also request this and other resources online at calvaryco.store. If you just like to make a donation and not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to aboundinggraceradio.com. Connect with us through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There's a link to each page at aboundinggraceradio.com. We've got another study in the Gospel of John to look forward to tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.